Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Well, I thought if you really wanted to know um, about the Brown family and a bit of our journey, you really have to ask the wives, don't you? Isn't that true? If you want the truth? I mean, I could give you a great, a great expose, but I think... Um, I think, you know, when you bring a message, you bring something of yourself. So I thought it'd be helpful for you us, just as, as um, John, it always seems funny calling him John. We used to call him Jonathan, but it sounds like you're telling him off now, you know. Jonathan, <laughs> go to your room. <laughs> so just a, a bit of background as to our journey so you can understand something of, of this message. Thank you. So I'm Gillian. So uh, some of us will, some of you will know us from the time we were in Christchurch. We uh, have been pastoring ex churches for the last 31 years. Um, we started in Paraparamu, and uh, Jonathan was born there, yes, and so was our daughter Catherine, and it's great to have Kat with us today as well. Uh, then we moved to Wellington, and we replanted a church there, which has, is now the Wellington Equippers Church. And then we said to Jonathan, sorry, son, you're going to have to go flatting because mum and dad are moving to Christchurch. So uh, 2010, uh, Kat and ourselves moved down to Christchurch. We were here just in the February, of course, before all the earthquakes happened. So we thought, well, Lord, you must have us here for a reason. So we were pastoring what was called Westside at that stage, which is now Activate Church um, in Sockburn. And uh, we were there for nearly 10 years before we moved to Hamilton. And people say, Hamilton? But actually, Hamilton's a lovely place. And uh, we live just out of Hamilton in a little place called Eureka, which has a, a school and a hall and a petrol station, as little places in New Zealand do. And uh, Michael's in his happy place there because he's got half a hectare of land and we're growing all sorts of fruit trees and produce and things. And uh, he's part of the Activate Church in Hamilton. And I work as a GP in Morrinsville, which is 12 minutes the other way from churches, 15 minutes the other way. So God's got us right in the middle of the spot. So... And, uh, and we're delighted to be able to come to Christchurch more often now because we've got a reason to come down again. And, uh, and that's exciting and it's been great having the time with the family. So that's enough. Great. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. And we've been married 37 years. So, I mean, that, that deserves a clap right there, doesn't it? Put up with me for 37 years. I've been saying for the last um, 37 years, when we were married, you know, Gillian's idea... We, my idea of you know, a tent was something you put on your back in a pack and you took it into the mountains. Gillian's idea of a tent was three rooms and it went on the back of a trailer and you towed it with an SUV. So I've been asking her for these last 37 years, Gillian, is it time that we got a camper van yet? You know, are we old enough for a camper van yet? So, and we got a camper van just a week ago. It's, it's getting a tow bar put on it uh, this week and, and then we're off on some adventures want to save up for a couple of e-bikes so that we can, you know, do the rail trails and timber trails and things. But I want to talk to you this morning about leaving a legacy. And it really ties in, I think, with that, um, I think there's something prophetic about that worship song about wait on the Lord. And we can sometimes think, you know, that waiting on the Lord is a passive thing. But I think as we kind of dig into that, wait on the Lord has a very sense of being proactive and something that you really press into. And as I was thinking about, you know, leaving a legacy and what might that look like, I want to go to the Old Testament this morning, and I want to talk about Abraham and Sarah, but I want to start back a little bit earlier when Abraham was known as Abram and Sarah was known as Sarai. Uh, I remember um, Gillian took me, I was going to say dragged me, but I shouldn't say that, husband shouldn't say that, 
wives never drag you anyway, do they, men? So, so I remember once going willingly with Gillian to a family reunion. And um, Gillian was a Dixon. Your mum was a Dixon, wasn't she? And so it was a Dixon family reunion. I think it was in Lower Hutt. And I remember as part of that, we had a, a church service. And there must have been, oh, it seemed like thousands at the family reunion, but I probably exaggerate, maybe 400, maybe 350. And there were 200 that were involved in a church service. Guy Jensen was there. You may not know him, but he was quite well known with choral work in New Zealand. So there was a choir. And uh, of the 200 people that were involved in, in kind of what I'd call the sort of more spiritual parts of that family reunion, they all came from two brothers. I think how many brothers were the seven brothers that sailed into New Zealand? And of those seven brothers, two of them were Christians. And those two Christians influenced the generations that followed them. So further down the line in this family reunion of 350 people, 200 were followers of Christ. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about leaving a legacy. And for you and I, that's one of the most important things we can do. You know, when we think about legacy, people often think about, well, qualifications perhaps, or investments, or property, or physical resources. But when the Bible talks about legacy, it's really talking about people, you know, the character of the person. We might talk about, you know, their mana, their status. What is it that they will be remembered for? I often kind of think about, you know, when people read my tombstone, what is it they will see? You know, he tried to fish, but he never caught anything. Well, hopefully, you know, it'll be something a bit more substantial than that. What is the legacy that you and I are leaving? So we're going to dig into that this morning, and we're going to start our journey at Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 9. I'm reading from the NIV Bible. Hopefully it'll be on the screen for you, and it, it's talking about the call of Abram, this man who was to become the father of many nations. I'm reading from verse 1 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old, and he set out when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai and his nephew Lot. All the possessions they had accumulated and the people had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah in Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, and he appeared to him. And there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, he built an altar to the Lord, and the name in the name and called on the name of the Lord. And Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Abraham's legacy started with a promise. Um, his promise was of land, offspring, and relationship. But it has really felt it's important for us to stand that each of us have a promise. There's a promise over our life that we step into as part of our legacy. And one of the places we see that promise is in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 14. And I think this is like a prophetic word to each of us this morning. And it's talking about God says, For you created my innermost being, or the psalmist responding to what God has said. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Look to the person on your left and the person on your right and say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Not sure how much of a step of faith that took for you, <laughs> but it's the truth. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're created in the image of the creator of the universe. There's that seed of promise within each one of us. And prophetically, I feel God saying to us, you are, I am, a child of promise. You know, it's not too hard to see Harriet. She's so cute. One or two in the morning, she wasn't quite so cute. I don't think she likes men. Well, she didn't like me as much as she liked Grandma, I tell you that. <laughs> Grandpa just didn't cut the mustard. But you look at her and say, yes, a child of promise. But we too are equally a child of promise. And we're on that journey to realizing the potential that God has placed within us so that we can leave that legacy. So three things I want us to think about this morning as we kind of think about Abram on this journey with Sarai and what was it that they had to take hold of to inherit the promise that God had for them of land, of offspring, and of relationship so that God would say later to Abraham, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, as, as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. Now, depending on where you are on the journey, that may not be a, a good promise or a bad promise. We were in church recently and we were praying for people and there was just a real prophetic sense of, you know, people having more children. I said to Jillian, are you going to lay your hand on your womb and believe for more children? And she seemed a bit reluctant. I couldn't understand that. But, you know, that's his promise. So what is his, our promise? What's the legacy that we are leaving? So the first thing I want us to dig into is that Abram was called to leave what he knew to embrace the promise of God. And it's often that way. I've found, you know, in ministry that God is seldom in the status quo, the way things always are. God is always looking for us to take that step of faith. And a step of faith is kind of never a step into the darkness. It's always a step, it might be a step into the unknown, but it's always a step into the unknown, trusting the character and nature of God, trusting his faithfulness in the past. So we have confidence as we step into a new season that God is with us in that season. I won't step into a new season here because I might end up in A&E with a broken leg and that wouldn't be quite the new season that I'd be after. So God called Abram when he was living in Haran, which is now a village in southeastern Turkey. And Haran was known as a center of worship to the moon god. His mother, Terah, was a worshiper of foreign gods. And Abram was to leave what was familiar to him. So that environment where he would have been surrounded with pagan gods, of cult worship of pagan gods, and he was to be able to leave that and to embrace the things that God had for him, that he would be that vessel to bring the blessing of God to the generations that followed him. The call to leave what is familiar and to embrace God's purposes probably finds its closest New Testament parallel in Jesus and his disciples. Imagine Jesus walking along and he says, hey, Andrew, hey, John, Leave what you're doing and come follow me. But Lord, you know I've got things to do. Family to look after. Fishing nets to repair. I want you to come and follow me. And God is still saying that to each one of us. In the midst of what is familiar, what is comfortable, I've found that God is not really into comfortable. You know, that's not comfortable that God's not into comfortable. Have you found that? But just when I'm getting comfortable, God seems to make me uncomfortable. 
And I'm sure it's a good thing that I might step, that you might step into more of the legacy that God has for us. So Abram's obedience was the door to the promise that God made, that he would be the founder of a great nation, a nation that would bless all the peoples of the earth, a nation that Abram himself would never see. But the blessing of his obedience would extend not to just his generation, but to the generations that followed him. And the amazing thing is in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, we read, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Amazing, isn't it? They didn't see the full reality of what he inherited, but he changed what God was doing forever on the face of the earth. I wonder how significant our obedience will be to unlocking the purposes of God in our lives and that others may experience God's love and grace through us. What does it look like for you and I to leave what is familiar and to become, embrace what is unfamiliar to us? And there's a cost. There's a cost to leaving what is known and embracing the unknown. I remember that very well. Gillian talked about it. It was in um, the beginning of 2010. We felt, or earlier than that, about six months earlier, we felt that God was calling us to go, to come to Christchurch. And as we always do, we write down all the reasons why we can't go to Christchurch. Half an A4 page. These are the reasons. It's not convenient. convenient. My mum was dying at the time. Daughter Catherine will never go to Christchurch. Son Jonathan living at home. I mean, it shouldn't be that you have to say, sorry, son, mum and dad are selling the house and leaving home. It's supposed to be the other way around, isn't it? So son says to mum and dad, mum and dad, I'm leaving home. No, son, mum and dad are leaving home. You've been talking about flatting, but now that flatting is a reality. (laughs) And I remember we searched around Wellington to find a flat, or Jonathan searched around Wellington to find a flat, and we found this place in Newtown. I remember we moved him into the flat the night before we left on the ferry. But we got him in there about, I think we were finishing, 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and the ferry sailed at 8 o'clock the next morning. It was a new town flat. It was summer. And I thought to me, oh my goodness, in the winter the rain is coming. And I don't mean it's coming on the outside, it's coming on the inside. You know, student flat. It wasn't long before he got angry hippo. You know, he used to have those back in the day, they used to absorb water. You know, students, you just don't have that. You know, student flats have heat pumps and double glazing, but back in the day in Newtown, Angry Hippo would just absorb all the condensation. I thought, oh my goodness, God, what are you doing? But you know, that's what it takes sometimes to embrace the purposes of God. Abram was in that situation. You're probably in that situation. But God never forgets his people. Abram was 75 years old. 75 used to seem really old to me. I've just had my 64th birthday, so it doesn't seem quite as old to me as it used to. But it was old, and yet he was being called to leave Haran and to set out for the land of Canaan, and uh, God would cause him to live for another 100 years. And God hadn't spoken to, um, to his people since the time of Moa. It had been 300 years since the voice of God had been spoken. And God speaks to Abram in a pagan culture, with a mum who worshipped foreign gods and said, I want you to leave all of that and I want you to go and do something new. Abram could have come up with all of the excuses. It was a long journey on foot to obey what God was calling them to do. That's why the commands of God are often linked with the promises of God. 
Abraham remembered that God had promised him land, offspring, and relationship. And there's a promise of God over your life. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Even when you were in your mother's womb, God saw you there and knit you together and put promise and destiny and purpose within you. There's a legacy that lies within you. And as you wait on God, it's not just a, God, I'm waiting for you. But it's it's actively waiting for God. God, what's the next step that you want me to take? What's something that I can do to activate the promises and the legacy and the destiny of God that you have upon my life? And we have that scripture in Romans chapter 8, 28, probably the most misinterpreted scripture on the Bible, I reckon. For God will use all things together for good for those who love him and work according to his purposes. But good doesn't mean my good. Good means often that God will position us that others may experience something of God's goodness for them through you and through me. Uh, as Gillian said, I used to be an orchardist. I don't think she said I used to be an orchardist, but I did. So I've been after some land for the last 37 years. So I'm in my happy place. I've got my ride-on mower, which when it's not a ride-on mower, it's my little tractor. I tow things around it, around the property. Um, it's, it's just a wonderful thing. And I said to Gillian the other day, this soil is so good. And she kind of looks at me, oh, man, I think you've lost it, you know. <laughs> you've been out in the frost too long, you know. Come in and thaw out. There's a few brain cells. Must say, oh, this soil is so good. You know, we were told that whatever grows to a meter in Canterbury grows to two meters in the Waikato, and it's true. It just shoots through. And we're on 30 centimeters of peat. You'll appreciate this. You're a soil scientist. And you get that soil, and you add some homemade compost. I'm talking chicken manure in there, straw, you know, a few mulched up leaves and you aerate that thing and then you add to that some sheep pellets, a touch of lime, and you mix all of that together and then you sow into that your garlic and you believe a harvest, a hundred, the thirty, ten, thirty, a hundred times what you've sown. I said to Gillian, this soil is so good. But you know, the good soil is there that you might grow a supernatural harvest. And our lives are to be that good soil that they might nurture and grow the promises of God, not just for ourselves, but for others, that we might leave a legacy. And Abraham discovered something that as he took hold of what God was doing in his life. Abraham's obedience as he set out. And it's amazing, we read in Matthew chapter 1, as it's talking about the genealogy of Christ. We read in Matthew chapter 1, it says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. How would Abraham ever known that many, 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 many generations later he would be in part of the lineage that led to the Messiah, Jesus, whom we have just celebrated as we shared communion, as we shared communion. Oh, I've got horticulture on the brain. As we shared communion this morning. Amazing. Truly amazing. The last thought that I want to leave you this morning is that Abraham had to build an altar to remember the God encounters. Abraham's declaration of his faith to the promises of God had to be fulfilled to make the descendants into a great nation and to make their name great and to bless all the peoples of the earth through him. And he was called to build an altar, a physical reminder of a spiritual encounter. Now, I'm not suggesting, don't say that Pastor Michael said after this, we should all go home and build an altar. The only altar you can perhaps build is maybe like a pizza oven. That would be all right. In fact, my wish is 
I want to build like a wood-fired hot tub and I want to have a pizza oven right next to it. <laughs> but apparently carpet, new carpet and curtains are a higher priority. Can you believe that? When we could be having pizza out of the wood. I don't know, I just don't understand. But um, maybe it will happen one day. We're growing, we're growing the firewood in anticipation. God's promise to Abraham to have descendants. The word is zera in the Greek, in the Hebrew, sorry, and it literally is translated as seed. So the land of Canaan, which refers to a geographic area rather than a single location, would be the good soil that Abraham's seed, his descendants, would multiply supernaturally to fulfill the promise of becoming a great nation. And God will do that. Remember, this was a place of pagan worship. He came from a lineage where his mum worshipped foreign gods. And yet God was going to turn this geographic region into a good soil that would bear the promise of God, not only to touch his generation, but the generations that followed him, and eventually would lead to the lineage that gave birth to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The verses that follow, we learn that Sarai, who was later to be known as Sarah, that she was unable to conceive. And it seemed that the promise that God had given would never be realized. The Canaanites lived in a fruitful land, but Abram and his household are still wandering, living a nomadic lifestyle in tents. Yet God spoke to Abram. He would be able to build an altar, thanking God for the promise that was not yet a reality. It would remind him of God's faithfulness of the circumstances declaring the opposite of his current reality. Abram's location was the Oak of Morah in Shechem. Most commentators say that it was a Canaanite shrine to pagan gods. Abraham declared, or Abram declared his devotion to God in the midst of pagan deities from, from there and, and uh, east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, meaning the house of God, and Ai, meaning heap of ruins on the east. The reason Abram stayed on track to fulfill the promises of God was that Shechem was the place of decision. He made up his mind to continue to thank God for the promises that were not yet part of his reality. And I think that's an important part of waiting on God, is gratitude and thanksgiving. You can build an altar to gratitude and thanksgiving. You know, there are some times in the Christian life when you just don't hear God as clearly as other times. In those times, you need to hang on to what was the last clear thing that God said to you and to keep walking. And what keeps you on track in those times is having a life of gratitude and thanksgiving. God, I don't understand the season I'm in. I'm not happy about the season in. I've been waiting, Lord, and I've been waiting a long time. Can you see me? But in the midst of that, gratitude and thanksgiving helps keep us on course until we embrace the new season that God has for us. And I sense as I was praying for our time together this morning that some of you are in that season. It's a waiting, but it's an active waiting. It's a waiting that embraces gratitude and thanksgiving. It's, it's a, a waiting that says, God, will you bring me into that new season that I may inherit the promise that you have for me? Many of you, I think, have promises that God's spoken, you know, over a lifetime. And you have to remind yourself of those. And God, God, you said this, but I haven't seen the reality of this. But God will bring it about, not just for you, but for the generations that follow you. So meantime, what, is it, what does it mean to be that good soil as you wait? What does it mean to allow God to continue? I, I think coming together like this is a great way just to invigorate the soil, you know, as we come together, just reminding ourselves of the goodness and the faithfulness of Jesus. There's a saying, you know, when you're in the desert, 
don't stop walking. And I think there's real reality in that. If we could have the, the musicians back, that would be fantastic. So God bestowed a great name on Abram, a man who was a nobody, so that all the families of the earth would be blessed through this man despite his failures, because God would remain faithful to his promise. And we all make mistakes. I make mistakes. As we're praying for our time together this morning, I thought, but God, you don't know the mistakes that I've made. Come on, God knows all things. He created the heavens and the earth. God knows my mistakes. God knows your mistakes. I really felt this morning that God's saying, don't let your mistakes be an excuse. The word that came to mind, and I thought, I'm not sure whether you're allowed to say this in church, but when you're my age, you know, there's less years to, to go than what you've already had, so you just go for it anyway. I felt God saying this morning, get over yourself. Get over yourself. If you're using mistakes to disqualify yourself and say, God, but you don't know what I've been through. We have a loving heavenly Father who embraces us and forgives us. And there needs to be repentance, absolutely. Sometimes there needs to be restoration. There are things that you have to put right. But God forgives and God restores. And God's promises are faithful and there's a legacy that God's wanting you to leave. So get over yourself. Sometimes I have to stand in front of the mirror and say, Michael, just get over yourself. Embrace this new season that God has for you. promises of God are not just for you, but they're part of the legacy that God will leave for the generations that follow you. Friends, I don't know where you are on your journey to faith in Jesus, but a really important part of that journey, one of those altars, one of those times that you remember, is when you've actually committed your life to Jesus or recommitted your life to Jesus. If you've never been water baptized, I really encourage you to do that because that's like one of those altar moments. You know, that's like a, a rock in the ground. I got baptized in the Welcome Bay Hot Pools. That's a great place to be baptized, you know. I know it says in the first century that baptism in fresh running mountain water, but hey, in Canterbury, that could be way too cold for me. I'm heading for Hamner Springs, you know, or maybe out to New Brighton, you know, to that hot, heated salt water. That could be good. But in all seriousness, if you haven't been water baptized, I encourage you to do that. It's an altar. It's a rock in the ground. When the enemy comes, as he will, to kill, to rob, to steal, and destroy, you look back to that altar and say, no, I determined to follow Christ. I'm standing on his promises for me. I'm going to inherit that legacy that he has, not just for me, but for the generations that follow me. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.